Well, hey, welcome. I'm so glad that you've decided to join in with us today. We are continuing on in our series uh, called Promises, Promises, Standing on the Promises of God. And today I am so excited to share this passage with you. And as I was thinking about promises, I couldn't help but think about how they're like an anchor. And I don't know if you are into boating or whatever, but the promises of God really keep us grounded when the waves of life kind of toss us to and fro and back and forth. And when, when things come and go, it just keeps us kind of grounded. It stops us from, from drifting. And I, I just, I can't help but think about how oftentimes when life gets that way, we need something to ground us. And the promise we're talking about today is one of those, one that I would encourage you to put into your pocket, keep readily available, because the truth we're talking about today will change your life. I truly believe that. And it's this truth, it's this promise that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Let me say that again. Nothing, no one can separate you from the love of God. And I believe if you can hang on to this truth, it can change everything. And to, to really do this well, to understand this well, we've got to kind of understand what's going on in the passage before we get here. And Paul, this great author, wrote this letter to, to, to a church in Rome, and he's building this argument. And as he gets to this point, he's saying, look, you are not condemned, but you've been set free from the law of sin and death. You, you've, been, you've been set free, and you're not condemned, and God's Spirit now is in you. And because God's Spirit is in you, it is continually testifying. It's continually telling you that you're a child of God. I want you to think about that. Like God's desire is for you to know that you're a child of God. And it says, with this in mind, you know, we can be patient in trial. We can be, uh, we can be patient and endure it, challenge. And we can know all this with this eternal hope. And Paul says, you know, all these things, and he begins this amazing conclusion to his argument. And he says this, what shall we say then? With everything I've said about not being condemned, we're found righteous, about enduring trial, with all these things, what can we say? What do we make of all this? What is there really left to be said? And then he asks this question. He asks this question that really frames this whole passage that, that we'll be talking about today. And he says this, in verse 31 of Romans 8, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? I want us just to take a moment and think about that. If God, the, the one who created the heavens and the earth before space and time, this all-powerful, all-knowing, this magnificent person, if, if he, if, it's, if him, if that person is for you, what does it mean to be for you? If he's forgiven you, if he delights in you, if he's chosen you, who can be, who or what? Can anything be against you? The answer is no, of course not. Of course not. Maybe you're saying, well, Jordan, I know that there's actually people against me. I've had people come against me. It's this idea that not that people will come against you, is will they be able to succeed in coming against you? And the answer is categorically no. No, they will not succeed in coming against you. They might come to fight, but they will not win. See, no matter what happens, you're secured, you're forgiven. You're in this safe haven of God's love and care and favor. And so the question is, is this, who will come against us? No one. No one. In verse 32, he goes on to say this, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? This sentence in and of itself is an amazing sermon. It's like God has given his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. If God has given you his only son, what else is there really to give you? It's like God, he's saying, God who's given a son, surely is there anything else left to give? 
It's this idea that our God is a good God who loves us and wants to give us things. Give us good things. And in the following verses, he says, here are some ways, really, of pe- that ways that people might come against us. That question, who will come against us? He gives us some ways that people will come against us. And the first is this, accusation. Accusation. In verse 33, he says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Have you ever been charged with something? Don't write that in the comments, okay? But I personally have never been charged with something other than eating all of Rachel's snacks. I mean, Rachel has to hide her snacks for me because I will, I will eat them all. In fact, Rachel had a, you know, like virtual baby showers or something. There was this virtual baby shower thing going on and someone gave Rachel snacks to eat during the baby shower. And I don't know, I just, they, they were there and they were, I love Doritos and so I just ate them. And so um, have you ever been charged with something? I can imagine it's not a great feeling. I've, I've actually been reading some stories of some black Americans that were wrongly charged in the United States and then exonerated so many years later for crimes they didn't even commit. And I can imagine what it felt like in those moments when these charges were brought before them and they were convicted of something that didn't even happen. You know, the world, and Satan specifically, wants to bring charges against you. He wants to bring charges against you. And just like the Spirit of God is continually telling us that we're children of God and affirming that in us, I believe the enemy is after us to actually bring these accusations. That's why Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. He likes to bring these accusations for, for us. And, and Paul says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Who can? And the answer is this, no one No one. See, no matter if you bring charges against yourself or accusations, if you say false things about yourself or if someone else does, or if Satan likes to tempt you and say you're not forgiven, you're not a child of God, or you're not holy, you're not righteous, none of that holds up in God's holy court. Hear me out. (laughs) You are forgiven and safe within the hands and the grip of Jesus. No one can bring a charge against you. And similarly, similarly, he says, not only can no one bring an accusation against you, no one can bring condemnation to you. In verse 34, it says this, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was the one who raised and who is right now at the right hand of God and indeed interceding for us. This idea, who's going to accuse you? Who's going who's to successfully condemn you? No one. See, for the believer that trusts in Christ's work on the cross... For the, believer that trusts in, that, for the believer who trusts in Christ's work on the cross and has repented, they can never be found guilty. Earlier in Romans 8, it says this, that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Man, write that on your wall. Write that on your mirror. Just so that when the enemy or the world would like to remind you that you're not who God says you are, you can remind them of who God says you are. And see, for the believer, Christ died and just not that, he rose again and is now seated at the right hand of God interceding for you. (laughs) Think about that for a moment. So now we can rejoice, we can live victoriously because the enemy cannot excuse, cannot accuse nor condemn us. Our price has been paid and that's that. We're justified, our penalty has been paid. Paul then concludes by saying that it's not only that there's no accusation, no condemnation, there is no separation. No one can separate you from Christ's love. In verse 35, read it with me, it says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, 
famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword. And, and this is where I'd like to spend some time. Paul asks these, these rhetorical questions. Who can accuse us? No one. Who can condemn us? No one. And who can separate us from God's love? No one. See, God's love towards you is unstoppable, unfathomable. No one can change that. No one can stop God's love towards you. And it's interesting because Paul says, who can stop God's love? And then he gives these things that are not people. He says, can tribulation or distress, persecution? Nope. Famine? Nope. Nakedness? Nope. Danger? Nope. Sword? Nope. See, these might not be people who can stop us, but oftentimes when these types of things happen in our lives, they really feel personified. I don't know if you've ever been in the middle of significant trial. I mean, I know some of you are right now. You know, job loss and sickness and pain and death, those things don't just feel like an event, do they? They feel like this person who really brings accusation. It's like this person whispering in your ear of worry and, and anxiety. And I believe Paul says, who can stop us? And names these things because that's often how these things feel. They, feel. they feel personified. But let me say this to you. And this is from J.D. Greer. It says, the who of your salvation is greater than the who of your opposition. Like no matter what you're facing, it is no match for our great God who brought us salvation. As long as we're on God's side, we're on the winning side. No matter the situation, how pressing or how intense it might be, it can't separate you from this truth. That right now, God's love is just towards you. It's on you. It's all around you. Even if you're being killed. <laughs> I know that sounds intense, but that's exactly how this paragraph goes. It's all nice and, you know, no one can separate you. And then it says this. It quotes Psalm 44, 22, where it says, Because of you... We are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. It's like, oh, Paul, did you really have to put that in there when it's kind of this nice paragraph? If you go and read Psalm 44, you'll find out that it's actually quite depressing. It's this psalm of lament, really, as the Israelite people are des describing this time when they really felt God had forgotten about them, like he was not going to save them. And, and honestly, the truth is this, is that Romans 8 is the solution for when our life feels like Psalm 44. Like when your life feels hopeless, when it feels like God is distant, when it feels like nothing can make this better, Romans 8 answers that question with this gospel truth that nothing can separate you from God's love. You might feel that God is not coming to rescue you. You might feel like this is not going to work out or that he might have forgotten you like the writers in Psalm 44 seem to suggest. But Romans 8 answers that worry, answers that question. Paul goes on to say this in verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Interesting. In all these things, we're more than conquerors. In accusations, in condemnations, tribulation, whatever it is, persecution. What does it mean to be more than conquerors? I believe I have an experience that describes this very well. As some of you may know, I grew up in a small town in Newfoundland. In K-6, to there was 48 students, okay? I was in grade 5, and my small school got invited to participate in a basketball tournament, okay? Now, I made the team, which was awesome. I was so proud. Bought some new sneakers for it. Um, but it, I, there was only nine of us on the team because there was only really nine, nine guys at the time in those two grades. Um, but we got invited to this tournament, and it, it was awesome. It was one of the biggest schools, actually, in the area. Now, our, <laughs> our gymnasium was smaller than the room I'm 
preaching right now and in fact we used to throw the basketball and it would hit off the ceiling like we didn't have a proper gymnasium and so we really did not know and I'm thankful for my 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 principal Mr. Boyd if you're watching this thank you for I think thank you for giving us the chance anyway we showed up for this tournament and we've I've got photos of my team, one guy, one teammate was playing in jeans. <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding you. Jeans, and there's a photo of us on the bench, and he's eating like an arrow bar, okay? So we, we, were, we were not cut out for this, this tournament at all. And I remember that as the game went on, we did not score a single basket. I mean, we didn't know the rules. We were stepping out of bounds. We were running up the court with the ball. It was so embarrassing in hindsight. Now, my, my brother, who was in grade eight and was like six foot tall when he was like that age, he was sitting in the stands and just humiliated for us because... I'll tell you what, that other team were being more than conquerors. They crushed us. Um, but my brother, actually, the refs felt so bad. And despite this being a 5-6 tournament, they allowed my grade 8 brother to come and play on our team. Now, we still lost by a significant amount. But anytime I think of this more than conquerors, I think of those other teams that completely crushed us. I mean, we didn't stand a chance. We didn't get a single point on them without my brother. But that's what it means to be more than a conqueror. Not just like you won. Not just like you're on the winning side. It's like, no, you dominated. And Paul says here that you are more than conquerors. You didn't just win. Like, God did not just win things. We're not on just the winning team. We are actually way bigger and greater than that. See, a conqueror defeats his opponent. But being a more than a conqueror means that actually we take that what was used for evil and actually use it for good. And that's what God has done for us. No matter what calamity, God is the only one who takes bad news and turns it into good. He's the only one that can take foolish people and, and use it to shame the wise. He can take tribulation and turn it into a triumph. He, he can take pain and give it purpose. He takes people who win and makes them more than conquerors. He takes people who are going through pain and, and, and makes them more than conquerors. J.D. Greer says this, he says, Psalm 44, <laughs> God takes our Psalm 44 and turns it into a Romans 8. When it feels like we're lambs being led to the slaughter, <laughs> God says, look, nothing separates you from my love. And you at home right now may feel as though you are like a lamb being fed to the slaughter with people accusing you on all sides. And, and pain just is a very real. I need you to know this. I need you to know this, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Have there been accusations, condemnation? Have you felt like this lamb being led to the slaughter? God's promise to you is important for you to hang on to, that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate you from his love. And he finishes with this. He says, for I am sure, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height or depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter if you're living, no matter if you're dying, no matter anything you're, you've gone through, you're going through, or it will go through, no, no matter the power of Satan or his demons, no matter where you find yourself, on the highest heights or the depths of the earth, nothing is about to separate you from the love of God. God's love to you, it, it changes everything. It, it, it changes your whole being. And here's the truth. I believe that what, what would the church look like? What would, what would the capital C church, the worldwide church, look like if they were convinced of this truth, that God just loves them right now? 
They don't have to earn his salvation, his, his appreciation. See, I believe a proper understanding that God loves you before you have anything to offer him is a motivator for us to live obedient lives to him. See, the moment we want to try and be holy, to be loved by God, we get it backwards. But rather, we are obedient to God and we want to serve him and live righteous lives because we know we're already loved and accepted. You know, none of this is possible. And perhaps you're watching and you've never really gone to church or it's never been really your thing. I need you to know this. This is only made possible by the gospel. When I say that word, it's this truth that Jesus wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just a good man that walked the earth. Rather, he, he was a perfect man. But not only was he man, he was God. And he was sent by his Father in heaven, sent to earth that he might live a perfect and sinless life. And when he walked among earth, he struggled with some of the same things you did, but he did not sin. And one day he would have accusations brought against him. He too would be falsely accused and put on a cross and would be killed by those that one day welcomed him right into, into town. On that cross he would die and God would put the sins and the wrath of God upon him. And in that same moment, a great exchange would happen where, where the sin of the world would rest upon him and we would be given the righteousness of Christ. He would take our pain and our sin, our perversions, and we would get his righteousness and forgiveness. And now we walk justified. And those who would call on the name of Jesus will be saved. If we confess with our heart, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and he was raised from the dead, we will be saved. And that's for you as well. And so wherever you may find yourself today, you need to know this truth, that God loves you. God loves you with this unfathomable love that you can't even comprehend. But he, he, he wants to, to, for you to accept that love into your heart. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never ever trusted Jesus as your Savior, today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. And so I just want to encourage you, Today, begin a journey with Jesus. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'd encourage you to do that. And for our believers that are watching at home, and I know there's many of you, I want to ask you, how would truly believing this truth, that God is passionately in love with you, how would it change your life if you believed it in the depth of your soul? Well, listen, let's pray together. And I believe that you'll be blessed by what God has for you this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for this truth that you love us right now. And so God, I just pray for those that are watching that may not be, uh, they might not call themselves a Christian. Father, I pray today they would come to a, a holy reverence of who you are, and that despite where they find themselves and how they've messed up or how they haven't messed up, how they've lived, you love them. Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit you convict them, bring them to you today. God, I pray that you would give us an overwhelming sense of the assurance of this promise that nothing we experience, no trial, no, no tribulation, changes how you act and love towards us. For you, God, you love us. So Father, we just thank you for today. We pray you be blessed by all that we do this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church family, listen, we love you and we're for you. And uh, you know where we are. If you need anything, reach out to us at miltonbiblechurch.ca, and we'll be, uh, we'll be in touch soon. See you later.